Hello, Arirang Radio listeners. I'm K-pop and host Isak, and you're listening to Insider. Today, I actually had to ask him what I should properly call him. He's an adventurer, and he does all this fun stuff. But we've got Dr. James Hooper in the studio. Hello. Hi. Lovely to be here today. Um, okay, I know that you speak like perfect Korean, and so because I do know we have like a lot of our Korean listeners too. Would you mind introducing yourself in Korean? That's fine. Okay. <laughs> 안녕하세요. 영국에서 온 제임스 후퍼입니다. 저 이제 뭐 한국 살이 한 8년 차 정도인 것 같은데, 네. 그래서 네, 오늘 여기 와서 인터뷰하게 돼서 너무 영광입니다. Eight years, man, sir. You've been here a while. <laughs> a, a, a little while, yeah. <laughs> a little while. Okay, so he's been here eight years. You can obviously tell his Korean is perfect. You go to his social media account, he types Korean better than I do. Anyways, <laughs> uh, the reason why you have we have you here, sir, is because you've accomplished a lot of things in your life. Um, one of them is, like, if you look up your profile and stuff like that, you've tackled Mount Everest, which is, like, something I only hear about in books and movies. <laughs> yeah. But you actually climbed it. Yep. So uh, kind of taking us back to, uh, you know, I feel that adventure is one thing, but I feel that most of us think like I'm going to be the next uh, Indiana Jones, that kind of an adventure. But like you just took it to the extreme, like you went up Mount Everest. So what did that spark and how did that come to play? Um, so, I mean, it's it kind of a silly story in some ways. My my friend and I at school, um, we we were both kind of into, um, you know, the outdoors. And um, and our school had a cycling club. And, uh, and so we joined the cycling club and we enjoyed going cycling kind of, you know, just maybe 20 kilometers on, you know, on a Wednesday afternoon around the school. And, uh, and then... Well, like 20 kilometers <laughs> is nothing, but okay. <laughs> Um, um, you know, and and and, uh, and then in the school holidays, um, the teacher who like helped run the the cycle touring club uh, took us to different places in the UK where I'm from. Um, you know, these areas of countryside, and we'd go cycling for say three days. And um, I, I really, from starting from nothing, that opportunity allowed both me and my friend to build our confidence and okay. to start to think like, oh, you know, these adventure things, like we can do it. Like you know, we were only. 14, 15 years old, but you start to, um, you know, gain that confidence. Right. Oh, this is something I can do. Right. And uh, from there, I guess, you know, being young teenagers and, and having wild imaginations um, and having cycled a, a few miles <laughs> somewhere around the UK, we thought, wow, well, if we can do this, like, why don't we try and uh, become the youngest people to climb Everest? And so it, it was kind of almost a silly dream in some ways. Um, but the thing that really helped was we were friends and we were able to bounce off each other and, and kind of, you know, I guess, spur each other on so that when people said like, ah, what a stupid idea, you guys are never going to do it. We kind of took that as a backwards motivation and kind of said, ah, we'll, we'll prove them wrong. We'll find a way to do it. Yeah. And so it started at this kind of crazy dream. And, and um, yeah, because the two of us were working together and supporting each other and not willing to give up, it, it kind of became a reality. Right. Okay. Now, um, I feel that every time I've seen something about Everest or anybody who does like mountain climbing, like extreme climbings or like any of these, um, it is kind of like a bucket list thing that starts off, but then certain people make it a career and like, you know, it's, it's that. But like, can I just, because the cycling stuff that you did yeah. was technically free i mean unless you were buying like you know the cycle the cycles that you were on and like the food and drinks along the way pretty much you just need your body to cycle your way around but yeah. for everest i'm mean, obviously 
you would need some stuff and there probably would need to be funding and stuff like that. So how does one go to Everest? Like, does it, is there like a estimate amount of money that you need to raise to actually do it? Um, so, yeah, so, so I guess for us, you know, we, we obviously realized, you know, if we want to climb Everest, we have to prepare in a certain way. Right, so, right. so we, we were just turning 16 at the time we wanted to, we decided we wanted to climb Everest. And so we kind of put together a plan, which was over three years so that we would climb Everest during the year after we left high school. Okay. Um, okay. And so, so over those those three years, we kind of started doing the training. Uh, we we obviously learned to rock climb. We started rock climbing outdoors. Uh, we went to the Alps and learned to climb in in you know in near Mont Blanc and snow and ice and and bigger mountains. And then in the school summer holidays, we went to Pakistan to try and climb a, a seven thousand meter high mountain there. Um, when we left school, we went to Nepal and climbed a um, an almost seven thousand meter tall mountain close to Everest, and so it was a gradual progression. And and until that point, until before Everest, we'd been able to earn all the money we needed basically by working in our school holidays. Okay, so like um, part time jobs and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, but then Everest itself is a completely different ball game. You know, Everest is way more expensive. Um, partly because you're there on the mountain for two months um, and partly because the level of equipment you need is is very different. You know, it's it's a very extreme environment. Uh, most people, including us, used um, supplementary oxygen. So we had to have oxygen cylinders and, and oxygen masks. Um, and then the biggest cost overall is just the permits. So, um, oh, wow. Both Nepal and China. Uh, so from the Tibetan side, you can climb Everest, which we did. And also from the southern side, which is Nepal. And yeah, so so both countries basically operate a permit system. So if you want to climb the mountain, you have to go in advance and buy a permit to climb it. And so particularly for the Nepali government, this is a major source of revenue. Oh, wow. Um, so, so yeah, so, so that's basically probably the biggest individual cost. And then obviously all the logistics of having to live there for two months right, and, right, and everything right, else right. all adds up. So I think in total for Everest, for both me and my friend, together it cost about 50,000 US dollars. Oh, yeah. So this is not your like trip up the Kwanaksan Mountain <laughs> You're in Korea for like a simple hike. We're talking about like, you know, just for everything. Yeah. It's no wonder nobody really just all just like, yeah, I'm going to climb Mount Everest <laughs> in general. But I, I, I want to kind of get back to, you know, Everest and some of the other stuff that you've done in your early life a little bit later. But I was looking on social media and domestically, uh, I, I saw something that was called the three peaks challenge could you kind of enlighten us on what that is um so uh there's a challenge in the uk which a lot of people do when they're first getting into adventures and, and okay. mountaineering um, and so the challenge in the uk is to climb so the uk is made up of different countries so right. scotland england wales northern ireland but on the uk mainland uh, so not including ireland um obviously it's wales england and scotland right and, and so you can drive between those countries so so somebody at some point made a challenge to climb the tallest mountain in wales the tallest mountain in england and the tallest mountain in scotland within 24 hours 24 hours yeah yeah oh wow um <laughs> And so this is kind of like a cool adventure. Like it's it's nothing like too crazy. Okay. It's accessible to anyone. Okay. Anyone who's willing to put in some training and a bit of time to prepare can achieve it. Okay. Um, but it's a really cool way to for people to be inspired and get out into the mountains. 
And since I came to Career back in first in 2010, I kind of realized that Career has sort of three mountains which are more famous than any others, mm -hmm. which is Halasan mm -hmm. uh, in Jeju, Jirisan town in the south, and, um, and then obviously Soraksan over mm -hmm. in Kangwondo. Um, and so I kind of thought, oh, like, I'm sure, you know, it'd be possible to do this three peaks challenge, but, but do a Korean version of it. And so it's kind of been at the back of my mind <laughs> since 2010. Um, yeah. And then finally, uh, kind of everything came together earlier this year. And I found some friends who were, who were excited and up for the challenge. Um, and I kind of wanted to do it um, with the opportunity for it to be um, on television because okay. I thought that then it has the chance to inspire people to go out and have a challenge. It'd kind of be a waste if you just did it by yourself and no one knew about it. Um, so, yeah, it all came together. And, and so, yeah, earlier this year, at the start of April, uh, me and three others, we, we yeah, undertook this challenge. So Halasan, Jirisan and Soraksan to um, basically stand on the summit of all the three mountains within 24 hours. But how does one get from Jeju? <laughs> it takes a while even by plane to get from Jeju to the mainland. Yes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I don't want us to spill too much because there's actually, we can actually watch this yeah. on TV too. Like there's video clips and stuff like that. Too there that are, we yes. Can, okay. See, I don't want to like spill everything here. So we, we can't go and watch it. So I want to save some stuff for us to actually go check this out. I, but... <laughs> Okay, so this kind of all started when you were 14. You've kept it up until now. I mean, but you're constantly physically not only pushing yourself with whatever elements that's out there, but like health-wise, you're pushing your body. It's going to tell you to stop. I saw on your social media, like you fracture things. You've, <laughs> you've fallen off of your bicycle. There's been things that I've done in the past. Have you ever wanted to just throw in the towel and just be like, okay, I don't want to be an adventurer anymore? <laughs> Uh, I get not not really. I mean, I think, you know, I, I, compared to some people, like I'm not very hardcore, right? Like I think you, you meet some people and some people are like literally crazy. Um, I, I'm not at that level of kind of craziness. You know, I think I'm relatively sensible as okay. as, as adventurers go. <laughs> um, you know, I, I really love the outdoors and I love uh, being out there and I love challenging myself. Um, but, you know, I also I enjoy, you know, comforts and I, I like staying in a nice hotel just like anyone else does. And, and so, um, you know, certainly I would say... After Everest and after, you know, the big expedition, which my friend and I did to follow that, mm -hmm. um, you know, I kind of realized that these big expeditions mean that you have a very uh, up and down existence where, you know, one minute you're on top of the world, literally. Um, <clears throat> and the next minute, you know, all of a sudden you're kind of you, you, that goal's gone and, mm. and you feel quite down and mm. um you know, it can be a very, yeah, like I said, up and down existence and it's not very stable. And, and I kind of realized after that that rather than kind of just constantly going for these sort of big expeditions which you're either like super involved with and like feel like you're living on the edge or otherwise feeling like you're not doing anything that it'd be better to find like a purpose in life and to kind of weave in you know your activities and adventures within that greater purpose so that you always feel that you're doing something worthwhile and so i guess since um about 2009 i kind of changed did things so okay. that I was no longer sort of really going for like these crazy, you know, youngest or world first, mm. but, but to think about, okay, how can, you know, through the adventures, which I enjoy and through, I guess, the, the environment and nature, which I love, what can I do to kind of tie that all together mm -hmm. and, and, you know, live a meaningful existence? Well, yeah, actually, because I wanted to ask you, I'd feel that 
it is an extreme sport in in general and to 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 do that for like two months like Everest to two months and then come back and to prepare for like three years after you're done and after that adrenaline rush subsides I would feel that there would be a really deep 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 just feeling of emptiness afterwards I mean yeah for sure like I I think I think a lot of people struggle with that who do who do you know and and I think some people that's why they keep going back for more because they they need that that. Mm. it's like a fix right so um you know in some ways I think I'm probably quite lucky because you know I think there's a lot of people who you know, they just get hooked on those adventures and they keep going back and, and the adventures are dangerous or, you right. know, like uh, obviously different levels of risk associated with what you do. But, you know, a lot of people get to the stage where they keep going and, you know, and, and then, you know, they have an accident and, and right. you know, that that's the ultimate price, I guess. Right. Um, but yeah, like, I guess it certainly is difficult when, when that's your lifestyle, you know, as you said, when you're doing these adventures or climbing Everest or, or you know, in the Arctic or whatever, you really feel completely alive because right. the risk is so close to you. You know, like if I take one wrong step, you know, mm. it could be the end of my life. Right. Um, and so kind of living at that level of intensity and then to come home and just be sitting on the couch and like go to the supermarket and, you know, you, you can buy anything that you ever possibly wanted and, right. and everything's so comfortable and so convenient. It, it, it's it kind of is this like dulling effect and you, right. you kind of think like, oh, this isn't really living. Like, what am I doing? Like, exactly. <laughs> I would feel that, yeah, because you're putting yourself not just mentally, but physically out there in the elements from any type of element we can think of extreme to extreme with weather, snow, heat, cold, anything we could think of. And yeah, then to come home and just be like, oh, I can get everything, especially in Korea. You can get delivery at yeah. 2 a.m. in the morning and it's even worse. Um, I know that right after Everest, you did do something other, another challenge right yep. before you said that you kind of calmed down a little bit. What was that challenge again? I know that you went like extremes from north to south, was it? Yeah, so we went from the geomagnetic North Pole to the magnetic South Pole. So um, yeah, so so I guess yeah, technique. <clears throat> There are well, so more or less you could think like North Pole to South Pole. Exactly. Um, so so <laughs> there's slight differences between the magnetic South Pole and the geographic South Pole, um, and you know we basically chose it based on practicality, which is probably too long of a discussion to go into now. But <laughs> but, but yeah, so it was a forty thousand kilometer journey um, from you know up in the Arctic to down in the Arct- Antarctic Circle, and. Um, yeah, so it involved skiing, dog sledding, sailing, cycling. Um, it was completely human powered. So the idea was, yeah, but to travel from the North Pole to the South Pole without using any engines. Okay. Um, and and so what we wanted to do was to raise awareness about climate change um, and document the environments that we were going through along the way, and hopefully, you know, get other people inspired about you know the, the natural world and think about you know these big issues which we're even more so thinking about now. So. Wow. Wow. Just he's a bundle of hope and stuff that everybody has probably thought of one day in the shower at like 9 a.m. in the morning. But we've never actually put into movement. This is your life. Okay, so today on our Insider, we're learning about being an adventurer. Uh, I feel that a lot of our listeners are uh, sending in questions about uh, survival tips even. So, yeah, I think that if they probably prep for those mentally, physically, and kind of just getting ready for what could be. So if you have any questions and messages for our Insider for today, which is none other than adventure, Dr. James Super, continue to send those in. Now. All about Korea. Korea. Arirang Radio. 
Today on Insider, we are blessed of learning about different parts of the world, literally. Uh, DJ Isaac is known to not go outdoors too much, even though Korea is blessed with many beautiful mountains that are accessible within the city. Like, I literally can take a bus or a ta- cab to a very beautiful mountain, hike up half a day, cut, turn around and come back down. I will never do it. I've done in a few past. But anyways, we have adventured after James Hooper in the studio who has been to Everest and back. And he actually was able to go from the technically the north to the south pole in uh, without using any particular engine. And we're just talking about your lifestyle and all this fun stuff today. And I'm learning so many new things. Um, one of our listeners actually sent in a question. So I'm guessing that you prepared for about three years to get to Everest. Um, money and everything in general, you were very young at the time, too. But uh, do you kind of mentally or physically get prepared for, like, what ifs? So Adrian from our YouTube live stream was asked, so what happens if, let's say, I get stuck in a pile of snow? Like, yeah. do you guys kind of train for that physically or mentally? Or have you been able to survive it? Okay, so so I guess the way I'd interpret that is um, I would think like pile of snow, the, really the, the way that... So there's two situations. One is that high up on a mountain, you could have had a large amount of snow, which is very soft. Um, so that when you're trying to climb through it, you it's coming. It. Well, it's coming up to your waist, okay. and and therefore, like it, it would never be enough that you know you're going up to your head in it. Be, you just because your groin means that you know you're kind of wide enough that you're not going to really go much further. Right, than right, that. right, but, right. But but yeah, as you step through snow, if, it, if it's coming up to your waist, then you're going super slow. You're not going to make much progress. It's a huge amount of work. So okay. in that situation, you probably are going to make a decision that you have you can't reach the summit because. Okay. Um, it's you're basically going too slowly and you're using too much energy right um the other risk obviously with that is that um when you have that much fresh snow there's a big risk of avalanche so the okay. snowpack could be unstable okay um and so particularly if the sn- if the snow has been laid down in different events and and it has a different composition to the snow beneath it or there's been some melt in the snowpack then that can create these inconsistencies and it can allow one layer of snow to slide over another. right 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 um and so obviously if you started to notice that that if you looked at the snowpack and you could see these kind of lines of inconsistency in different areas of snow, um, you would probably decide this is not worth it. Um, you know, there's a big risk of avalanche. And, and you know, obviously, you know, if, if you get trapped in an avalanche, there's a, you know, a significant chance um, that, that, you know, you're not going to come out alive. So, so really, yeah, you'd be watching for those things um, okay. and, you know, deciding not to go ahead. <laughs> okay, so if you have reached a, a- peak in uh the mountain you're climbing up and you find a place like that would you just kind of tread off to the side to find more stable ground and just pitch camp um i mean you'd probably head back the way that you came oh you actually had to go back down a little bit Uh, so well yeah so so well we had an uh uh uh, experience in Pakistan okay. um, where we got to 6,000 meters uh-huh. the summit of the mountain was just over 7,000 meters and we we pitched our camp for the night and during the night a storm came in okay. and dumped a load of snow and actually the storm carried on for three days and <gasps> by the time the storm had finished we'd eaten most of our food um, and about half a meter to a meter of snow had been deposited on the upper mountain. Okay. Um, so that firstly made it very hard going, but it also meant that there was going to be a larger chance of, of an avalanche risk. Um, and so putting all of those risks together of being kind of low on food, it would be really heavy going and there'd be a higher chance of avalanche. We basically made a decision that we'd have to turn around and just go back down the mountain. Oh, and not uh, finish the yeah. summit. And, oh, wow. And so those are, you know, those 
it can be difficult, right? Because right. You've, you've trained for something for years. You think like, oh, you know, this is my goal. I have to get there. And so to make a decision, oh, well, I'm going to give up that all that time I prepared, you know, all the money I've invested in this. The fact that you're obviously probably a driven person and you want to reach the goal because you're exactly. there anyway. Exactly. To, to give all that up and go back down is, is, is a tough call. But, you know, making those calls is what means that you can come back and try again. It is literally the difference between life or death yeah. in that situation. Um, Ian was asking, so you did learn how to do rock climbing and stuff like that. Have you ever kind of taught that at any p- point in your life? Um, uh, informally, yes. So, oh, okay. so, so like, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a qualified, uh, you know, rock climbing instructor um, or guide. But of course, you know, I've taken friends who haven't done very much climbing before and gone rock climbing with them and kind of taught them the basics okay. of, of how to rock climb. Um, you know, I, I really enjoy sharing the outdoors with other people. And, and I think if there's a chance to encourage other people to, to enjoy, whether it be climbing or cycling or, you know, running or kayaking, or whatever it is, you know, I like to do that with other people. I, I, I'm kind of more of a uh, a jack of all trades as opposed to like a master of a particular thing. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, no, I do like so to. So you'd be like a school principal. <laughs> recruit everybody give them the basic knowledge and then send them back into the world yeah exactly <laughs> um so you did tell us when you first introduced yourself in korean that you've been in korea for eight years so of course every foreigner gets this question until they leave korea what brought you all the way to this part of the world <laughs> um so i uh, so my best friend who I climbed Everest with and went from pole to pole with, he died in a climbing accident mm-hmm. in 2009. And so that kind of shook everything up for me and made me question, you know, what I wanted to do and, right. and where I was. I needed some time to, you know, get my head together. So I worked in London for a year, um, which was, you know, I learned a lot, but I realized it wasn't for me. And so I decided I wanted to go to university. Okay. Um, but when I thought about it, I kind of realized that I wanted university to be an adventure, not just about studying, but I wanted to kind of the whole thing to be a new adventure. And so I, that for me meant probably it's a good idea to go and study abroad. And therefore, like being in the classroom is not the only time I'm learning. But, you know, every part of my life is that kind of learning. An adventure yeah, exactly. and new things and stuff like that. Okay. Um, and I had a friend who had taught English in Korea and he'd married a Korean lady and they'd moved back to the UK. And so when I was working in London, I, I went and visited them quite a lot. We went cycling together and I heard loads about Korea and it just sounded like a really cool place. Um and so, yeah, when I decided I should study abroad, um, I obviously thought, well, I'm going to study abroad. I should go somewhere with a completely different culture, a different mm-hmm. language to, to the UK. And I'd heard lots about Korea and it sounded very cool. Um, yeah. So so I guess I, I was kind of inspired by my friend and his wife and, and put that together with wanting to go to university and wanting to study abroad. And uh, yeah, I wrote, I wrote a letter to... Um, the Korean Geographical Society and said, hi, I'd, I'd love to come and study geography at a university in Korea. Um, you know, would you be able to give me any information on, you know, what, un- what universities there are? And I, I got an email back from a professor at Kyunghee University. And, um, and he said, well, if you're interested, I'd love to speak to you and perhaps I can help you find a place. Um, yeah. And, and it all went from there. So, In eight years has has just zoomed by. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was, I haven't been in Korea for all of that time. I actually finished my um, undergraduate and then went to Australia to do my PhD. Um, but while I was, even when I was in Australia, I'd come back to Korea for a few months each year. Um, so kind of, I guess all the, if you add all the time together, it's eight years. Okay. Um, but I've been out of Korea for, you know, if, you know, a certain amount of yeah, time yeah, yeah, yeah. in between. 
So I feel most of our Korean listeners have probably seen you on p j o n g s a n g w e d a m or Non Summit, which was a really super popular show, and we still have those episodes out there for everybody to see. So how did that come across? Because I know that for anybody who had been on the show at the time, I mean, I don't think anybody expected the show to do so well, yeah. <laughs> and all of you to be so popular and so much sought out. But when they first called you, what was your initial reaction? To be honest, I didn't really understand what they were asking. Like, I, I, <laughs> I, um, it was like 2014. I was just finishing my undergraduate. I knew I was going to Australia to do a PhD at this point. And, um, and I got a call one day and they kind of said, oh, you know, we're, we're, we're organizing a program and we want it to be, um, you know, comparing different countries' cultures. Um, you know, would you be interested in, in coming and having a chat with us about it? And, and my conception was that it would be, You know, it would be like a series where one program is me just Aww. chatting and, and saying, oh, this is what the UK is like. Right, and, right, right. And right. this is how it compares to Korea. And then the next episode would be, you know, someone from France. Right, or, right. You know, so that, that was my conception. And so I went along um, to, the, to the kind of pre-selection um, interview, as it were. Um, and again, I had no cause. I, th- I thought I'd literally be meeting like a jackanim and, uh-huh. and, and talking about. Uh, and then you know, you'd probably go into a studio, do taping and then just go home. Well, is that, I, well, I just thought it'd be super quick. And, right. um, and, and I, I walked into the room and, and it was like this long table and there were like 20 people in there and someone was, you know, two people like transcribing everything that I said. And, and it was like way, it was way bigger than I'd expected. And even at that point, I didn't really understand where it was going. So, no pressure for like a bazillion people <laughs> yeah. watching you walk into a room. Well, exactly. So, and then I got a call maybe a week later saying, oh, James, we really liked you. We'd like you to be on the show. And so I thought, oh, great. And they said, okay, we're having like a pre... a pre-filming like publicity thing where we take pictures of everyone who's going to be in the series. Um, and I thought, oh, okay, great. And, and so I rocked up. And again, I, I kind of thought that I would be there by myself and then someone <laughs> be in there in the, in the next slot. And then all of a sudden, all of us, I think there were like 12 or 13 of us to begin with. We, we were all, all, everyone was there. And, you know, I met people like, say, Tyler, who's... Korean was incredible and, and mine, which, you know, is, is not anywhere near his level. And so I was, to be honest, like, oh, Jesus. And I had, there's, a, there's all these other foreign guys like who, who I'm with and all of them seem to speak better Korean than me. <laughs> this, is, this is terrifying. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, it, it was kind of a bit unexpected. But, um, but the, when we actually got into the filming, I was very nervous because I'd never done anything like that before. Right. But, but it actually turned out to be a lot of fun. Like everyone was really nice. Like it was just it, the initial filming were like six hours mm-hmm. a piece. So like six hours filming for one episode. It was like very intense, but hugely enjoyable because everyone was just laughing around and having a joke and sharing stories. And, and so, yeah, it was, it was a really cool experience. Wow. Wow. So... It's kind of just kickstarts. You've since high school, you you know, you've prepared to go to Everest and then you went like literally through half of the world. (laughs) Um, And then you like are on TV one day and then you go to get your PhD. So pretty much you've got like everybody's bucket list and pretty much the first half, maybe quarter of your life by now. Um, and so as you live a daily life, I would have to think that, you know, you've been doing so many random things, not necessarily planned, I feel, in many different ways. Um, and instead of just having that, like, you know, oh, I just did something very extreme and now I feel very kind of numb and low. Have you kind of just sat down one day or maybe took a shower at 9, 9 a.m. in the morning and be like, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> like, I've done so much now. Is there anything left to do? Have you ever kind of found yourself in those like Monday morning blues type of an ordeal? 
Uh, I mean, I definitely have Monday morning blues. I, I think I think it's it's more about the future, right? I I I I don't kind of think about my past and think like, wow, I did that. That's that's. Uh, I think um, you know, I was lucky to have certain opportunities and to be around people who inspired me. And and you know, we all make choices as as we go along. And I think you know, for me. Often I'm in a situation. It's to be honest, stuff which has passed. It, it's in the past, right? Like it, it's it's something that's happened. You can't do it again or recreate right, right, right. it. So, so you know, there are definitely times where I, I think about the future and I think, okay, here I am. You know, the how do I leverage the skills which I have to actually do something useful and, and interesting in the future? And I think in that sense, I'm similar to everyone else. You know, we we all have that mm. you know um i guess conundrum of mm. okay this is the situation i'm in and and how can i do something which is enjoyable and meaningful right. you know and, and make money from doing it so that i can have a you know a, i can live a good life you know mm. and, and look after my family and everything else so um yeah i guess yes um but probably not in really any different way to the way that anyone else does right 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 right. it's not too extreme <laughs> compared to the accomplishments that he has had all right fam we've got more of our insight if you have any more questions and messages for him continue to send those in as the second hour of k-pop in continues i'm in london i'm in australia tokyo the philippines Finland, indonesia new york arirang radio radio now live in seoul Today, we're literally taking you on a adventure through stories with our insider because we've got adventure Dr. James Hooper in the studio sharing his experience with mountains, not tigers, <laughs> <laughs> not bears either. No, no, no. I tend to stay away from scary animals. <laughs> so you push yourself with cycling. Um, I, I'm kind of curious because since you have done a lot of extreme challenges, physically with the elements in your career we actually have a a um we call this kind of like the world cup of games so we will give you something and you constantly have to pick or choose between the one that you just chose before okay you'll kind of get a hang of it when i start screaming out things to do so would you rather be on a viking uh which is you know the ship that goes up and down that you know you barely have any safety harnesses on yep. that goes literally 360 okay like it goes whoom, yep. or would you prefer going skydiving three two one skydiving okay out of skydiving would you choose paragliding or skydiving three two one paragliding oh it seems to change okay <laughs> paragliding or free diving with no oxygen tank three two one paragliding okay uh paragliding or triathlon three two one we're still paragliding. Oh, paragliding or wing walking? Three, two, one. Oh, that would be interesting. Wing walking. Okay, wing walking. <laughs> wing walking or bungee jumping? Three, two, one. Wing walking. Ooh. I hate bungee. <laughs> wing walking or being on a water slide that is dropping you from 17 stories at 104 kilometers per hour. Three, two, one. That sounds pretty scary. I'll stick with the wing walking. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, so for anybody who doesn't know what wing walking is, could you please explain that to us? Um, so well, it, it basically, I think uh, it's usually done on these old biplanes. So you have planes, you know, the kind of planes which you see, which look very, very old, say from the 1940s or before, which have the double wing on both uh-huh. sides. And then 
you have someone who literally walks along the wing while the plane is flying. And so I think like technically paragliding would be more interesting, but uh-huh. wing walking would be like a real experience to right. be kind of walking on this wing whilst a plane's flying. Right, along. right, 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 right. With just totally experiencing everything at once. Exactly. Which I feel that depending on how high they go, you've probably been higher. <laughs> uh, I mean, pro- probably than one of the planes which you wing walk on. Yeah, they probably can't go to 8,000 meters. So. Right, right, right. So technically you've been higher anyways. So might as well try that. Um, a lot of our listeners uh, who are listening to the program are either K-pop fans or they love K-culture or just Korean in general. And we do try to teach them Korean. But I have to say that, sir, your Korean skills are better than mine when I look at your social media posts. And you are being super humble and modest back when you were on, you know, non-summit that everybody was better than you but i feel that learning a new language is probably challenging for everyone but did you have any tips that you kind of helped with yourself to pick up the language oh um i mean uh, it's uh, to be honest the biggest thing is obviously um having friends who speak that language so so for me moving to korea and being immersed you know in korean and and I actually purposely avoided non-Koreans okay. in Korea. Like for the first few years I was here, you know, if, if someone who wasn't Korean tried to be friends with me, I was probably quite cold to them because because <laughs> I knew that if I had a friend who wasn't Korean, I would just speak English all the time because right. it's easier. Right. Um, so, yeah, um, I guess, you know, just in terms of creating an environment around you where you have no choice but to use the language is obviously a good one. Um, but otherwise, um, I found the thing with Korean is that the the grammar is very regular. So from mm. growing up and trying to learn French or German, where every verb conjugates differently and, and you know, there's genders and all this stuff, um, learning Korean was, you know, a dream in some ways because you didn't have to worry about genders and you could basically learn one rule which then applied to every single verb. Um, and so, yeah, for me, I'm not someone that likes to sit down and, and rote learn vocabulary and rote learn stuff. So Korean was really great because I could learn these rules and I only needed to know like a few of these rules and they applied to everything. So okay. so that for me was, was the key, was kind of finding what those rules were, you mm-hmm. know, those grammatical rules, learning them. Mm-hmm. And then as I slowly pick up new vocabulary naturally, then I know that I can just use them in the same way as everything else because wow. they all use the same rules. Okay. Okay. So that's kind of helped you throughout the years just improve it what about your writing because honestly when you post stuff online you're like because we how you need to space it and all that that i feel that a lot of people do get that wrong especially even koreans when it comes to (laughs) spacing things quote properly um do you get any help do you like online search before you post or just in general did all those rules kind of come natural for you i think you know i went to um a language school in Korea for the first year I was here, like intense every day for four hours. So, so like that's quite good at like you know teaching you the basics and and correctly how it's meant to be done. Um, you know, when when I post stuff, like if it's something which is really long and I don't know about it, then you know maybe I will cheat and ask my wife, like, can you have a look? Have I done this correctly? Um, but you know, I think um, it. it <laughs> it's just one of these things, right? You you kind of you learn it and it's there, and and I think. For, is often there's some things which I find not being a native speaker, you come into the language and you learn the correct way that it's meant to be done. Whereas, right. you know, if you're a native speaker, then you just, you're kind of more lazy because you fall back on this way that you've always done it. And you've never, you know, I remember at the age of 15, I didn't really understand what the difference between a verb and adjective and, and a noun was because I'd never needed to know. It just right. so I just naturally used English language. Right. And it was really only when I learned Korean and was and was intensively learning and had to understand what the difference between different 
you know language constructs were that suddenly i started to understand ah you know this these are why these things are different this and is this why is, this is a noun this is why this yeah, is yeah. <laughs> no but i understand i totally understand because honestly i feel the same way so even though i've learned both languages i feel that when i'm trying to teach even our listeners it's kind of hard to channel that in i feel that only when you are able to relearn something you're like oh no wonder. <laughs> yeah. And all of a sudden, like, English made more sense to me as well, because, <laughs> because I, I understood how language worked. <laughs> you know that there's a structure now. Yeah. Oh, so that was what my third grade teacher was trying to tell me and exactly. drill into my brain, <laughs> yeah. when all I wanted to do was go out and play in the, the field or exactly. whatever. Um, so your adventure throughout your life has brought you to many different things. I kind of feel like you've pretty much settled for now in Korea, kind of, sort of. So what are we able to look forward to from you for now? Like, are we seeing, you know, a new documentary series coming up somewhere? Are we going to be seeing you, like, voice acting now? Like, what's coming in the future for you? So for me, recently, I've tried to switch my focus to, you know, a lot of the theme, which I, I love the environment. And obviously, I did an expedition, which is trying to raise awareness about climate change. You know, I did a PhD, which is about environmental and earth science. For me now, I think what I'm trying to do is focus a lot of my, well, I guess there's two strands. One is to do stuff which try and encourages other people to get outside, learn about nature, enjoy nature and respect it. Okay. And, and the reason I want to do that is because I, I think people that are more invested in the environment and nature make more effort to make the right choices about protecting right, it. Right, 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 right. Um, you know, and, and then the other strand of that is I want to be someone who's contributing to, to you know, that change which mm. we need to, mm. to, you know, live in a healthy, on a healthy planet. And so right. um, I, I guess I'm trying to further my career um, in the environmental space. And so for a year, I, I was working um, as a professor in the uh, um, environmental science department at Dongguk University. Um, and I recently changed jobs and I'm working for an environmental consultancy. Um, and so, you know, my job is to go out there and work with companies to try and help them, in, you know, in, put the processes in place um, so that they can set their carbon reduction targets and understand how they can reduce their carbon emissions as a company. Um, and so... So I guess that's my focus at the moment. And I, uh, what I'm be trying to do is try and do activities around that, whether that be media or anything else, um, which can kind of feed into encouraging that change. Yeah, and bring a little bit more awareness and whatnot. Because I do feel that, yeah, if it's bounced around in the media a lot that, oh, consumers are looking for more sustainable companies. But yeah, I feel that if we had somebody like you being a representative who can kind of listen to both of the consumer's perspective, but also from the big guys yep. and how they need to also, you know, market things and how they need to make a profit as well. Yep. If we have a middleman who's helping that, I mean, that's even awesome uh, as well. Honestly, I would love to keep you on the show, but we are way out of time. So before you go, I would like to hear how it was today. I honestly was an honor interviewing you. So could you please say your last goodbye before we actually do say goodbye today? I know it was a lot of fun. Um, I, I really enjoyed being here. It was great to speak to you. And um, yeah, it's always, I guess it's strange to sometimes go back and, and think about different experiences. And each time I go back, I end up talking about them in a different way. So uh, it's always um, really rewarding to have a, have a good chat with someone and um, yeah, really been really nice to be on the show. So well, thank you. thank you so much for being here. Hopefully next time we can see some more big projects come back and I can find an excuse to bring you back into the studio. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mr. Hooper, and I hope to see you next time. Thank you. Bye. Bye. 
Did you enjoy today's interview? I hope you did. If you want to catch us live, don't forget to catch us live every Wednesday from 1 to 2 p.m. Korea Standard Time. And we are always waiting for your questions too, so don't miss out. If you missed the live broadcast, you can always go back and check out our VOD service and our AOD service through our homepage or our application that is free. Don't miss out on power interviews with yours truly, DJ Isaac, every Wednesday. Wednesday.